on last week as we began to focus on uh, reset, reset, reset. We looked in Second Chronicles chapter 29, Hezekiah is the king of Israel, and as Hezekiah is the king of Israel, he goes in and he um, reestablishes worship or he resets worship because whenever a king would come in, a king could change whatever it is that they were doing uh, previously. So the king before him did not, uh, did not do right in the eyes of the Lord. He brought in idols to worship. And so when Hezekiah at 25, he became king, Hezekiah began to clean out uh, the temple and he began to uh, bring order back to worship. And so because he changed the order of worship, um, Israel began to prosper and progress. Um, it was interesting that under the previous king that they, their, their progress was not what they thought it should be. And so in, in uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 35 and 36, champions, let's read that together like we know it is the word of his power. Now, so the service of the temple of the Lord was reestablished. Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced at what God had brought about for his people because it was done so, how, what was it done? It was done so what? It was done so what? It was done so quickly. And so the Bible says he reestablished worship in the house of God. And the word reestablished, when you look at it in the Hebrew, it is the word reset. And so he reset order in the house of God. He reset the order of worship. And so before that, people couldn't experience God's best uh, simply because that they were, they were going to worship, but the worship or, 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 or the body was out of order. And so he reset it and put it back to God's original intent. Now, we know that there are times in our own lives that we need a, a reset. We need a reset. And, and uh, most of you have reset, had to reset your cell phones, where over time, as you use it day by day, that your cell phone would pick up spyware, malware, and just other stuff. It would get things in your cookies that would be remembered, and it would slow down your progress. Uh, and so uh, you would have to reset it. And by resetting it, you bring things into alignment and then the system begins to, begins to run much more, much better. It, it, you get the best out of the operation simply because you have done a reset. And so too, in our own lives over time, many times the enemy is not affecting what you do but you've picked up some stuff over the years that have slowed down progress and therefore it needs to be reset, reset. And um, so there are four things that we'll talk about and we're gonna take our time. We're not gonna rush it and say we need two weeks or four weeks or six weeks. We're gonna take our time and see where God takes us, amen? amen. And so uh, there are uh, several things that I'll talk about that need to be reset. And we started on last week talking about reset thinking. So th this week I would say that my focus in this particular message would be reset thinking part two. And we're going to go a little bit further because we're just setting the table right now. We're setting the table so that we could really eat on a clean table. So we're going to put the table in order so that as we move forward, we will be, uh, be able to receive what God, the meal that God is bringing uh, toward us. 
I need uh, three, three guys, three guys. So just really, would you quickly come up here? Three guys from anywhere here. One, two, three. Great. We've got three right here. There we go. Yes. Come on up on stage, please. Come on. Here we got these guys here. And um, there we go. We've got these three gentlemen right here. And we want you guys to stand uh, right here. Just come right here and stand right here. My gosh, look at these guys here. All right. And so let me just share something with you that all of us, you are a body. You're a body. You have a soul, mind and emotions, your will, your mind, will, emotions, and then you have a spirit. You're a body, you have a mind, will, emotions, you have a soul, your mind, will, and emotions, and you have a spirit. Now, as we look at this, the body, and as you look at the body, and you recognize that the body does, have will and have a soul, and the body has a spirit. But when you look at yourself in the mirror, you only see Julius. Although Melvin is there, and although Horace is there, you see Julius. Why? It's because when you take a selfie, this is what you're going to get, Julius. Now, stand next to each other. Now, so what happens here is that whenever Julius wants to do something, whenever he wants to go someplace, he can't do it by himself. What he has to do is he has to talk to Melvin. And, and Julius says to Melvin, Melvin, I'd like some ribs. And Melvin says, okay. Okay, I'm getting them. That's me there. <laughs> Julius says, I want to sleep late. Melvin says, okay. So Julius can't do anything except by Melvin agreeing to what he is going to do. Now, once you get saved, you get a spirit. But everything else remains the same. The only thing that is different is the spirit. Now, because now the spirit is different and Horace is now on board, Julius now wants to do some stuff. And he looks and he says that, you know what? Wow, look at her. And Melvin now has to decide. But now you've got this over here, and, and, and Horace is saying, hey, let's read our Bible. Let's pray. Let's go to our Wednesday night series in February. And Julius is saying, no, I want to go home and sleep. And so Melvin now is, he's just between the two. Because nothing can be done by Julius unless Melvin agrees. Nothing can, Horace can do unless Melvin agrees. And so the more that Melvin listens to Horace, he reads his Bible. He prays. He watches what he says. He thinks what Horace wants him to think. His life began to change. And people start seeing him differently than the person he was. But there is a struggle that's going on here because Horace wants, wants, wants Melvin and so does Julius. But whoever controls the, the thinking controls the man. And so if Horace can control Melvin, then Melvin starts looking just like Horace. But if Julius can control Melvin, then, uh, then Melvin starts looking just like Julius. No change. 
And so notice what happens here is that there's this struggle and there's this war and nothing will happen until Melvin decides which way he will go. Thank you guys. Now, See, whoever controls the mind controls the man. And so as a result of that, what you think about what is happening is more important than what is happening. See, what you see is not as important as what you think about what you've seen. What you hear is not as important as what you think about what you have heard. See, because the ear only receives sound, but it is the mind that tells you what that means. The eye can only receive light, images, but it is the mind that tells you what it means. Therefore, what you think about what is happening is more important than what is happening. Let me give you an example. There's a husband and wife that were invited over to a friend's house for dinner, to, to a couple's house for dinner. And so uh, the, 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 uh, they cooked a really wonderful pot roast. They had greens, they had yams, pot roast, hey, and some cornbread. And they had a wonderful time together and there were some leftovers. So now uh, the husband and the wife now is getting ready to go back home and they get in the car and they're driving back. And he says, wow, that meal was really, really good. I really love that pot roast. It was so good. Honey, did you bring any home? Did you bring any leftovers for us to have later? I really like that pot roast. And then she looks at him and says, well, I thought you liked my cooking. What's wrong with my cooking? You used to like my cooking. And that's not what he said. See, what she thought about what he said was more important than what was really said. And so we, we see this and we recognize then that it is our thought that gives meaning to what we see. It is our thought life that gives meaning to what we hear. And as we look at that, uh, the Bible says it like this. First Peter chapter one, verse 13, it says that, so prepare your minds. And man, I tell you, this got all over me this week. It says, so prepare your minds. Come on, let's read it together, church. Let's read it together now. So prepare your minds for service and have, prepare your what? For what? And what are you supposed to have? So prepare your mind for service. Why? Because whoever controls the mind controls the man. And have self-control. Now this got all over me this week and all in my, my Kool-Aid because uh, I haven't had uh, sugar and I mean I've been, we, we went into that time of fast and I was doing really wonderful. I, I broke my uh, a fast on uh, Monday and because it was just, I was just so excited about that time. I hadn't had any desserts. And so uh, this week, I wanted to get something. I wanted to get something cool. And Gwen went out of town and left me here by myself. She went to visit her mom, and, and I'm here all by myself. And I want something cool, so I stop at Kroger's. And when I stopped at Kroger's, I, get, I went in and I went and got something that was a little protein and crunchy. 
and, and, and I was going to the register and then my mind said, you want something cool. And I kept walking to the register and then in my mind it says skinny cow. Get a box of skinny cow. And I go, no. And I said, skinny cow. And next thing I know, I'm right over there in the refrigeration getting out, getting some skinny cow out. I find a box of skinny cows and I put it and I, and I bring it to the front and, uh, and I pay for it and I go to the car and I live nine minutes from Kroger. But when I got in the car, my mind said, you want something cool, go on and eat one now. So I opened up the box while I'm driving and I opened up the pack and I ate one skinny cow. And then my mind said that, oh, that wasn't enough, you need another one. I opened up and ate my second skinny cow. I'm not home yet. My mind says, you need another one. I go in the box, open up my third skinny cow. I've had three skinny cows before I ever made it home. I'm not home yet, and my mind says that, you know what, you could eat all six of them. Look at this, look at this. It's only 150 calories. That's 900 calories. That's the same as a quarter, double quarter pounder with cheese. And then I realize I'm being played. And I was almost home. I said, no! I am not having another one. I'm going to exercise self-control. And I had to get home. And when I got home, I took it out of the bag and I had to put them in the freezer and I left them there and haven't touched one since. Self-control. After I ate three of them in nine minutes. When Gwen got home on yesterday, I said, honey, we have three skinny cows in there. And she says, no, thank you. I thought I might be able to eat one with her. So, so, so I want you to see this. The Bible says, prepare your mind for service and have self-control. Have self-control. Look, when you think on purpose, see, thinking on purpose, when you think on purpose, you gain control over what you think about. And that's so profound. See, when we think on purpose, we, we gain control over what we think about. And it had to come to me that I was actually being played and, and my Julia's was coming out, right? It's the person, the, that, that, that person that you see to satisfy, not giving regard. My Melvin was, was controlling my, 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 uh, my Julia's and I needed my Horace to step up. Do you know what? My gosh, it's like, when I realized that I had been played, then I became stronger because I began to think on purpose to gain control over what I was thinking. Look at this, Second, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. Champions, let's read that like we know it's the word of his power together now. Who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the... Come on, would you say, I have the mind 
of Christ. Come on, say it one more time. I have the mind of Christ. And so you and I have the mind of Christ. You got to tell somebody next to you, would you just look at them and tell them you have the mind of Christ. So now if we have the mind of Christ, we need to understand how Jesus thinks. We have the mind of Christ. We need to understand how Jesus thinks. Because we want him to reset some things in our lives so that what God has said, order comes, and then we are amazed at how quickly he does what he has promised. So to understand how Jesus thinks, would you go to your Bibles to the book of Psalm 22? And we're going to look at this this morning, Psalm 22, because Psalm 22, it gives us a picture of what Jesus was thinking at the most agonizing and stressful time in his life. My God. And so let's look inside the mind of Jesus as he hung there on the cross. It was on a hill called Golgotha, just outside of Jerusalem. And it was a, it was a horrifying scene, church. Soldiers are coming down and, and he's tortured uh, body and they place it on the cross. Another one is holding iron spikes and they put those iron spikes between the bones. Then they get his other hand and they nail those spikes between the bone in his other hand. And then they take his feet and they cross them and then they put a spike in his feet. And can't you imagine the screams? Luke tells us that while they were torturing him, while they were nailing him, that he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. But in Psalm 22, it begins to tell us what Jesus was thinking at the time he was being crucified. First verse says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Verse two says, oh my God, I cry by day, you do not answer, and by night, but I have no rest. And so what Jesus was experiencing was worse than what he had anticipated. And at this particular time, he feels abandoned by his father. He suffered all night long and now it is morning and he is still suffering. And as he's still suffering, he recognizes that God is not giving him any relief from his pain or any relief from death. And he's asking God, God, hasn't that been enough yet? God, isn't that enough? Isn't that enough? Hasn't the debt been paid? Is it paid yet? Because of what I have gone through. But he doesn't change. He does not look at God as having doing something wrong. Look in verse 3. He says, yet you are holy. O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. He knows, Jesus knows that God is holy. And he's like, he's unlike anybody else. And the anger of God towards sin was great. Jesus recognized that. And so it was not enough yet. Verse four, he says, in you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried out just as I am crying out. And they were delivered. In you, they trusted and were not disappointed. Now, he's saying that, look, it seems like I'm not being trusted as those who trusted you before. 
He's saying that I'm not being treated like Abraham was treated and Isaac was treated and Jacob was treated and Moses was treated and David was treated. I am not treated like them. And, and he's looking at this and he's saying, surely God, you would have delivered them from their pain and relief from their death by now. But notice in verse 9 and 10, he says, yet you are he who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breast, upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. And so notice this, that Jesus now, he's on the cross, he's in pain, he is uh, near death, and he looks back over his entire life, and he says, all my life I've trusted you. All my life you've been my God. And I've worshipped you. I've served you all my life. And I know that you delight in me. I know despite what I am going through that you are pleased with me. Why? It's because I heard you say when I was being baptized by John that you said, this is my beloved son in whom I am pleased with. So I know that you're pleased with me. But why do I have to go through what I have to go through? Verse 11. So he talks to God and he says, if I've got to go through it, be not far from me. <laughs> he says, stay with me through this, God, for trouble is near. And so Jesus knows that he still has a way to go. And there is no one else that can help him. And he says, God, I need you to stay near to me. Don't leave me. Don't leave me. Don't abandon me. In verse 14. He's hanging on the cross and his head falls down and he looks at his body. Notice what he says. Come on, church, would you read that with me together? Now, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me, my God. He says, I'm poured out like water. Verse 17. Notice what he says. He says, I can count all my bones. People were astonished at how he was abused. They were astonished at how he was tortured. Even Isaiah talks about it. But the Bible tells us under the new covenant that he was beaten beyond the recognition of a man. The Bible says that they could look at him and they could not even recognize that he was a human because he was beaten so, so badly. And he's on the cross now, not even being able to be recognized as a man. And yet, He's talking to God and he say, even in the midst of his pain, he says, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. But God, don't leave me because the end is not near yet. And I've got some people that are looking to even do worse to me. Don't leave me. And he says that I can count all my bones. But look at this in verse 22. He knows God has heard him. He knows what the end is going to be. He knows what's going to happen. Why? Because he's already told the story. But Jesus is just living out the story. And in verse 22, he says, come on, would you just read that with me one more time? Read it together now. He says, I will tell of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. He's like, God, I know that you've heard me. God, I know that you're going to raise me up. And so... I'm going to go and I'm going to tell Peter. <laughs> I'm going to tell John. I'm going to tell Matthew. I'm even going to tell my brother James and Dalton Thomas of what you have done. I'm going to tell them of your love. I'm going to tell them of your power. I'm going to tell them of the salvation that you have accomplished. And he knows he's being heard. 
Notice what he's thinking about. He knows God will raise him up. He knows this will save those who trust in God. And he thinks about the praise and the glory of God and, the, and how much he should receive. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is in so much pain, but he's thinking about giving praise to God. Jesus has gone through his situation and circumstance that is necessary, but he's still thinking about how to praise God. And he says that, oh, I know you're going to raise me up. And when you raise me up, I'm going to get into that room and I'm going to praise you and declare your goodness and your greatness. And I began to, to, uh, uh, to, to think about this and I would go, my God, how can someone think like that when they feel like that? Then Jesus moves and he began to think about the blessing. <laughs> and notice what he says here. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. He's on the cross. He's suffering. And he's saying, let your heart live forever. Look, he's on the cross going through all that pain. But he was thinking about our eternal life as he was dying on the cross. He was thinking about me. He was thinking about you. He was thinking about you. He was thinking about you. And in the midst of his pain, he began to think about his purpose, not his pain. Why? It's because when you think on purpose, you gain control over what you think about. 